You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. says repent and be converted you know a definition of converted is to adapt to a new or different purpose a new or different purpose before we repented our purpose was to sin because that's all we knew we had no power over sin we were helpless we were dead in our sins the bible says but when i am converted i turn from my sin and i put all my attention now on jesus christ my new purpose is christ and my new purpose is following him He is my new direction. What does it mean to be converted? In today's message from Pastor Dave, he teaches that conversion means to adapt to a new or different purpose. Before receiving Christ, you were dead in your sins. However, after receiving Christ, you have turned from your sins to follow Jesus in a new direction that brings life. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 3 as he begins his message, Times of Refreshing. Would you please turn to Acts 3, verses 17 through 21. Please follow along. You may read silently as I read aloud Acts 3, verses 17 through 21. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted." that your sins be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Have you ever heard the language that our young people use today? No, I'm not talking about the cussing, because there's plenty of that, believe me, but I'm talking about the other language, the everyday words that they use that somehow totally mean the opposite of what they say. Now, these words are called slang. They've been around for a long time. Slang words are those words that are used in an informal expression that are not considered standard to the speaker's dialect or, or to his language. A slang word is something that is used to identify us with our peers. When you're talking to a group of your peers, there are various words that you can use that they will understand. Back in the dark ages when I was a kid, I remember the slang words throughout my life as they started. I remember when things started. I remember the word neat. Everything was neat. That was my word, neat. Well, that was neat. It went from neat to being cool. Everything was cool. Some things are still pretty cool right now. I think cool is neat. From cool, from cool, we moved into groovy. Groovy. Everything was groovy, baby. Everything was groovy. And then one of my most favorites, far out. Everything was far out, man. Far out. Far out. Yeah, that was my favorite. Later on, it became awesome. Totally awesome. Yeah. And then everybody was saying, super. Oh, that's just super. You remember those words. You probably said some of those words in your time. You might even have words that I don't even know that you used when you were growing up or as we went through this time. 
But these are all words that were used to describe something good. When you said something was awesome, it was good. When you said something, when I said something was neat, it was good. Used to drive my kids at Wildwood crazy when I go, that's really neat. They go, neat? Where are you old? I went, yeah. But things were neat and things were good. But when I began teaching at Wildwood High School, I found out there were different slang words meaning the word good. I'll never forget the first time I was doing something and one of the kids said, yo, Mr. Shank, that's fat. I went, are you calling me fat? He said, no, 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 Mr. Shank, what you did was fat. I went, fat? He said, yeah, yeah, you know, P-H-A-T. I went, fat. I said, fat's good? Yeah, fat's good. I said, okay, fat, man. That must be great. That's fantastic. But then they threw a curve at me because then I was doing something. They said, yo, Mr. Shank, that's really bad. I went, really? I thought it was kind of good. No, 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 that's bad. I went, what do you mean? Well, bad's good. I said, what? How can bad be good? No, but it is good. That's bad. I was, okay, well, it was bad. So if it was bad, it was good. I love that. I was totally confused. If it's bad, it's good. I looked at the kids and I went, neat. Oh, they would throw their hands up there. But one word that really used to drive me crazy, one word that really used to drive me nuts was the word ignorant. Ignorant. Every time something happened to my students that they didn't like, every time something happened to them that they didn't agree with, every time something wasn't going their way, it was ignorant. Oh, man, that's ignorant. Excuse me? That's ignorant. Ignorant didn't mean anything that I thought it meant. So I went in and I typed in the Urban Dictionary. Yeah, there's a dictionary called the Urban Dictionary. Well, I can't read you what the description of ignorant is in the Urban Dictionary. You can just imagine to yourself, but you get the idea. Basically, it means that when you don't agree with something that somebody's doing or you don't agree with what they say, they're ignorant. I don't know. But when we speak to others, we need a language that we speak in that both you and they can understand. A language when you speak out that they understand what you're saying. So if you're witnessing to someone of a youth nature and you use colloquialisms or slangs, they understand what they need. They understand the words that you're saying. It's it's interesting. As we minister to these groups, we need to know the meanings that they know, not the meanings that we know, so that we can relate to them. Paul says, I became all things to all people. We've been going through chapter 3 of the book of Acts. We saw Peter and John going to the temple following their daily routine. They came across this man who was lame. He was lame since birth. A man who was placed at the gate that was called beautiful every day to collect alms. That's what he was there for. That was his job, to collect alms. We said that those that gave alms were considered righteous because they were giving to the poor. And they would make sure that everybody see me, I'm giving to this man. Hey, I'm giving here, look. So that everybody would see them and think, oh, they're righteous. They're giving to the poor. Peter and John had an encounter with this man. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says, by the power in the name of Jesus, through faith in his name, a miracle happened. And the man was healed. He was able to walk. The man accompanies Peter and John into the temple. And he's clinging to them. And once in the temple, everybody sees him and looks around. And the Scripture says that those who saw him were amazed. In fact, the very words in verse 10 says they were greatly amazed. Look at this guy. He's walking. It, it, is it? Wasn't he out? They, no. they didn't understand what was happening. Peter immediately responds to these guys in Acts 3, verse 12. He says, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or our godliness we have made this man walk? Just as he did on the day of Pentecost, Peter seizes an opportunity to share the gospel with these amazed men. He shares the gospel message. Peter now tells them, 
Who was responsible for this man being made whole? Just where the credit should go. Certainly, it should not go with man. Peter says in verses 13 through 16, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he, Pilate, had determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given this man his perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Through the Holy Spirit, Peter was given boldness to remind the Jews once again of the way they had treated Jesus. The Jews had denied him and delivered him to be crucified. He tells them that they had asked for the release of a murderer. We know that murderer's name. His name was Barabbas. And then they crucified an innocent man. In order to convince them of the crime that they had committed, Peter uses words, titles that they know. These aren't slang words. These are titles that they know to be of the Christ, God's Son. Jesus, which is Yahshua, which is Jehovah is salvation, by the way. The Holy One, the Just One, the Prince of Life. He used all these words. And when he spoke these words to his group, this group of Jews, they knew exactly to whom he was speaking. Because all of these terms were placed to a Messiah. A Messiah that they thought they were waiting for. Peter doesn't stop. Peter's a good evangelist. He doesn't leave them hanging. He doesn't leave them hanging with this. He moves right on. He says death couldn't hold him. God raised him from the dead and took him back to heaven, which is his proper place. It was Christ, now in heaven, who has sent his Holy Spirit. And it was the Holy Spirit working through the new church that healed this beggar. This was the proof that he needed to declare that Jesus was still alive, that Jesus was in heaven, the Messiah was still alive. They were waiting for an earthly king. In fact, God gave them a heavenly king, one who would reign forever. But they were still waiting. Doesn't this sound like something you might hear in an evangelistic crusade? Doesn't it sound like something that you would be sitting around in a huge stadium and someone would get up and proclaim the gospel? Do you ever realize how simple the gospel message is? How just utterly simple it is? I'll never forget. I had the privilege of going to a Billy Graham crusade over in Philadelphia. I went over to the vet to see Billy Graham. And I was, I was, this was in the early, early 90s. And I had, hadn't been saved that long. And we went in there with about 8 billion other people. And we're sitting in the, at, at the vet. You know, and it's a hot day, and we're singing songs, and it's wonderful, and I'm a new Christian, and I'm loving every minute of it, and I'm having a great time. And all of a sudden, Billy Graham gets up there, and he speaks, and he gives the message. And it's only about a half hour. And then a half hour later, he says, and if you want this, come down. Throngs upon throngs of people went down forward to accept Christ. I was looking, I was sitting there with my brother, and I went, not to belittle Billy Graham, but what did he say? He said something that was so sweet, so simple, so poignant to the heart. It wasn't eloquent. It wasn't all these wonderful, big, long words that you couldn't understand. It was the gospel message. And the gospel message struck the heart and pierced the heart of thousands because thousands went down and were saved. What a wonderful testimony. The Holy Spirit designed a message specifically for Peter that day that he was going to deliver to his audience because the Holy Spirit knew the audience that Peter was going to talk to. The Holy Spirit will do that for you too. When you come before someone, the Holy Spirit will design a message perfect for you to deliver to that person. 
Because the Holy Spirit knows exactly what it's going to take to get that person's heart to be pierced, to get that person convicted of sin, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts of sin, he convicts of righteousness, and he convicts of judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And he gives you the opportunity to speak it into this person's life with words known by that person. Oh, don't, don't worry. It's the same message. It's the gospel. Because only the gospel saves. It's the power of God to salvation, Paul said. Only the gospel saves. But it's designed with the speaker and the audience in mind. Peter, again, just like the day of Pentecost, does not lead the crowd without hope. He doesn't lead the crowd. He's such a great evangelist. He does not leave them hanging on a cliff. He doesn't take them right up to the cliff and just walk away. He gives them hope, just like he did on the day of Pentecost. In fact, he almost defends them. He almost gives them a defense. It's wonderful. Look, it's verse 17 as we begin our study. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as, also, as did also your rulers. There's that word again, ignorance. They did it in ignorance, and ignorance means lack of knowledge. Ignorance simply means lack of knowledge. You didn't know what you were doing. You had no idea what you were doing. You crucified the Messiah because you lacked knowledge. And so did your rulers, he says. But you know what? The rulers should have known better. They were the ones that studied the Word of God. They were the ones that knew the Word of God. They should have known better, and they should have guided you toward this Messiah who had come to the earth. They should have recognized the Christ. They should not have been ignorant. Peter's not talking slang here. He's not talking slang. He's talking something that really means something to these people. They understand his words. According to the Mosaic Law, in Leviticus 4 and 5, and even Numbers 15, there is a difference between deliberate sins and sins of ignorance. There's a difference in this. Sinning presumptuously or deliberately was total rebellion against God. And the person who committed this sin was guilty of a great sin. They were to be cast out according to the law. You can read that in Numbers 15, 30 to 31. The person might be cut off from his people. He might be excommunicated. He might even be put to death. Defiant and high-handed sinners were condemned. But the person who sinned unwittingly, without deliberate intent, was given an opportunity to repent and seek God's forgiveness. So when Peter says, you did it in ignorance because you didn't know what you're doing. According to the Mosaic law, ignorance does not remove the guilt, but it mitigates the circumstances by which you've sinned. Interestingly enough, think of this. Jesus is hanging on the cross. What's the first thing he says to them? Father, forgive them. Why? For they know not what they do. They're doing this out of ignorance. They don't know what they're doing. And guess what? You can find that in Luke 23, 34. Guess what? God answered his prayers. The Father answered the prayers and has forgiven them. If they would only accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your sins can be forgiven. God did not send judgment on these people who crucified his beloved son. No, he sent the Holy Spirit to empower his church to convict sinners, all sinners, whether you've sinned in ignorance or you've sinned in uh, deliverance, All sin is forgiven by God. All sin is forgiven for those who would believe in a Christ, in Jesus Christ, the righteous. All sin. All sin save one. We'll talk about that a little later. All sin is forgiven. This made sense to the Jews because God had provided in His law cities of refuge. You've heard of cities of refuge, maybe? In His law, it says that if you do something without malicious intent, if you hurt somebody or kill somebody, there are these cities that you could run to. And you could run to, and as long as you stayed in that city, you were protected. The Avengers, 
the, the, the person's family could not harm you. They could not kill you. You had to stay there as long as the high priest lived. When the high priest died, you were able to return to your own home free. Interesting. We're forgiven by the sins when our high priest died, Jesus Christ. He is our high priest, and he has taken away our sins once and for all. Our sins aren't covered. We don't have to atone for our sins year after year after year, as did the Jewish nation. Our sins are covered, completely taken away, gone, blotted out, the Scripture says in a minute. So they could flee to these cities. You could find that in Numbers 35, 9 to 34. Cities of refuge. Peter is telling them that Jesus is their city of refuge. In Jesus, we find a forgiveness of sins. And that's what the writer of Hebrews speaks about in Hebrews 6, 17 and 18. Psalm 103, 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, he removes my transgressions from me. He takes them away. He removes them. Peter again takes up their defense. He calls them murderers. But then he says, you were ignorant. Well, at the same time, they had fulfilled God's words. Not only were they ignorant, but they were fulfilling God's word. He says in verse 18, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Peter said, God has fulfilled it. He's been saying it all along that the Messiah was going to have to suffer and die. Peter had announced their crime. He had bared their sin and he explained the very nature of their sin to them. It's really, really interesting. At the start of this sermon, Peter was the prosecuting attorney. At the start of the sermon, Peter was the prosecuting attorney laying out all the crimes that they committed. Then he became their defense attorney, giving them a reason for their sin. Not only ignorance, but they didn't know. And it was the will of God spoken by the prophet. So he's not only the prosecuting attorney, he's the defense attorney. And now, now he becomes the pardoning judge. He tells them what they must do to be found not guilty of their sin and to be forgiven of their sin. Just like pretrial intervention, Peter gives them a clear-cut plan to get a pardon, to be found not guilty. He explains this in the next verse, verse 19. He says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Peter tells them to repent. He tells them to change their mind about themselves. He tells them to change their mind about their sin. And he tells them to change their mind about who Jesus is. This is what true repentance is. True repentance is seeing Jesus for who he really is and changing your mind about him. He is the true deliverer. He is the true Messiah. He is the true one and only he can forgive sins. And through him, we have forgiveness and we are redeemed to the Father. Notice that Peter doesn't say, get yourself together and be converted. Clean up your act and be converted. Peter doesn't say that. He says, repent. Simple words. Repent, he says. Let's talk about what repentance is not. Repentance isn't remorse. Remorse says, feel sorry about what I did, but that's my weakness. I'll probably do it again. That's remorse. Repentance is not regret. Regret says, feel bad about what I did because you know what? I got caught. And repent's not resolve. Resolve says, I feel bad about what I did, but I'm going to try harder next time not to do this. Repentance says, I changed my mind about who Jesus is. I accept his sacrifice on the cross. He is the true Son of God. He is the Christ. He is the one who can forgive sins. And by His blood, I am cleansed. I change my mind completely about Him. When I change my mind about Christ, when I change my thinking, when I change my direction, something happens and God starts to change my heart. He starts to change my heart. Peter says, repent and be converted. You know, a definition of converted is to adapt to a new or different purpose, a new or different purpose. 
Before we repented, our purpose was to sin because that's all we knew. We had no power over sin. We were helpless. We were dead in our sins, the Bible says. But when I am converted, I turn from my sin and I put all my attention now on Jesus Christ. My new purpose is Christ. And my new purpose is following Him. He is my new direction. Unless we turn away from our sins, we cannot truly place our faith in Jesus Christ. We must turn away from our sins before we can truly place our faith in Jesus Christ. It's an act. It's an action. Sin will always be a hindrance to our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Sin will always drag us down. Paul tells them to repent and be converted so that your sins will be blotted out and times of refreshing will come. I love those words. Times of refreshing. Not only am I going to lose my sin, I'm going to lose that burden, that, that anvil that's been hanging on my head for so long, but I'm going to enjoy times of refreshing. Times of refreshing are going to come into my heart. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, Peter says, from the presence of the Lord. It's interesting here that times of refreshing basically has three meanings. There's three basic meanings. You can have times of refreshing, what Peter was talking about nationally for the nation Israel. You can have times of refreshing individually when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you can have times of refreshing personally when you allow the Holy Spirit to come upon you and to do the work that the Holy Spirit needs to do within you. You have times of refreshing. First to Israel as a nation. Israel was waiting for the Messiah to bring them into a time of refreshing. They were waiting for the actual presence of the Lord. But they missed it. They missed it. Peter's saying that you can still have this by a national repentance. Israel, get on your knees. Israel, return back to the one true living God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Israel, return back to your God. He wants to be your God. He has chosen you to be his people. Return back to that, and you can have a national time of refreshing. Israel did not do that. Israel has not done that to today. They have not returned. They have not repented. If you look at the book of Acts, as we study the book of Acts, you'll find that it's because of Israel's non-repentant attitude that the gospel then is sent to Samaria. And after Samaria, the gospel is sent to an unknown group, an unholy group, a tribe that they didn't even want to think about, the Gentiles. Good news for you, folks. That's us. We are the Gentiles. Praise God. We are the ones that received this because of Israel's ignorance, because of Israel's refusal to accept their Messiah. Now, salvation is given to the Gentiles, all because Israel refused to recognize Jesus for who he is, the Messiah. They failed to come to repentance. So as a nation, Israel can still come into repentance, can still have a time of refreshing. And that time will come in the last day. That time will happen in the last days. But individually, if we give our hearts to the Holy One of God, if we give our hearts over to Jesus, we will be refreshed. Our hearts will be refreshed because the presence of the Lord, His Holy Spirit, will come into our lives, it says in Scriptures. Our lives will be regenerated. Our lives will be reborn into a living hope. There will be newness of life. There will be a refreshing of the soul, knowing that we are forgiving, that our sins are blotted out. There's such a relief when we know that, when we know we have peace now with God. The stories you've been hearing about Peter, Paul, Stephen, and the many other followers of Jesus are meant to inspire you and encourage you. 
These brave people lived long ago and had the privilege of seeing the gospel message spread from its point of origin, Jesus himself. Their testimony and diligence in spreading the good news of hope and new life changed hearts and saved countless people and continues on even today through the writings and Acts and the rest of the New Testament. However, the lives you were studying weren't without trial. Each disciple of Jesus faced persecution in some form, yet it never swayed them to abandon their faith. What difficulties are you facing for Jesus now? Don't lose heart. Remember that you're sharing the truth and that the truth can set people free. You have the Savior of the world on your side, and He will stand with you through every trial and triumph. We're so glad you joined us for today's edition of Assure Hope as we continue to study the book of Acts with Pastor Dave Shank. If you'd like to listen to more teachings, we invite you to visit our website, assurehoperadio.com. Feel free to download and share Pastor Dave's teachings or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Are you in the Cape May area? If so, we want to meet you. Come join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary Chapel, Cape May to learn more from the Word, sing praises to your Lord, and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for joining us today on Assure Hope. Rescued us.